Welcome to the Abundant Edge Podcast. You're in the right place for all things regenerative living, ecological restoration, permaculture, and natural building. I'm your host, Oliver Gaucher. In this show, it's my job to interview leaders, innovators, and rebels on the cutting edge of their fields as we look for solutions to our generation's most urgent challenges and share these techniques and information so that you can join us in creating a healthy and abundant world for everyone. So let's get started. Written by the world's leading sustainable builders, designers, and engineers, New Society Publishers' Sustainable Building Essentials series covers the full range of natural and green building techniques with a focus on sustainable materials and methods and code compliance. From rainwater harvesting to composting toilets to straw bale, rammed earth, hempcrete, and more, these unique books present the essential information on each topic. Find out more about the Sustainable Building Essentials series at newsociety.com. Without a doubt, the most important mission of our lifetimes will be regenerating this planet and creating a new culture based on care and stewardship for all life. But it can be hard to know where to start. After more than 150 episodes of speaking to leaders and innovators in the regenerative fields around the world, and working with clients and organizations to help them reach their regenerative goals, I've compiled many lists of essential skills and steps that anyone can take today to begin their journey towards a brighter future for themselves, their families and communities, and for the ecosystems that support them. Every Monday, to get your week started off right, I'll send you a new regenerative skill that you can develop and expand on in your own life right away. What's more is that I'm creating a community of skill builders like you who are sharing their results and stories of success to inspire you towards greater action. You can sign up right now in the show notes for this episode or on the homepage at AbundantEdge.com. Start your week off right by building your skills for a regenerative future. Though regenerative agriculture has made huge leaps forward in the last decade, it still only accounts for a very small percentage of the farms around the world and even less in overdeveloped countries. Now while we still have a long way to go to make ecological land management practices the norm around the world, There are a lot of people dedicated to accelerating the progress of recent years by creating educational platforms, mentorship programs, and community collaboration around these important skills. In this episode, I got to speak to one of my favorite new contacts in regenerative farming education, Ray Miladani from Melbourne, who works with Farming Secrets, one of the premier educational platforms for profitable regenerative farming based in Australia. Now, Ray states that his mission is to create a community which inspires moments of collaboration where we can all learn new ways of thinking by promoting environmental awareness. In this interview, Ray talks about the patterns and commonalities in the successful regenerative farming network that he works with, and the power to create change at the societal level through inspiring education and new ways of thinking. We also look into some of the biggest roadblocks that are holding the ecological farming movement back, and how our generation holds the power to transform our food system by supporting and promoting the growers who are creating a new way of farming by collaborating with rather than fighting nature. So with that said, I'll hand things over now to Ray. Hey, Ray, thanks so much for taking the time to be with me today. How are you doing? 
I'm great. Thanks a lot. Well, look, we've got so much to cover when it comes to regenerative farming and all that you've learned through your work with farming secrets about the commonalities between ecological practices in, in tons of places around the world. So what do you say we just get down to the questions? Absolutely. Let's jump straight into it. I love talking about this topic. So let's do it. <laughs> Marvelous. All right. So before we get too deep into these topics, why don't you tell our listeners a little about your personal background and how you came to work for Farming Secrets? Yeah, awesome. So uh, my background really has just been um, to be a human being of the planet that's always curious to how things work. And uh, so from a very young age, I won't give you the long story, but all my family stopped buying me toys because every time I'd get them, I'd break them because I wanted to know how they work. So that curious mind has <laughs> always been there. And um I always want to know the why and the how. And uh, I went down the business and marketing uh, education part of my uh, degrees and so forth and really wanted to get a bigger understanding of how, uh, you know, humans and uh, of the planet really buy things and interact with each other. And uh, that took a real big interest for me. And I, I love solving problems. I set up a few different businesses. Um, I have a bit of an entrepreneurial mind and I want to solve problems um, in, in a good, efficient way. And uh, I was working at an online education company um, doing courses and Farming Secrets came into, into my ecosystem and we kind of just hit it off from the bat. So Helen and Hugo set up Farming Secrets nearly 13 years ago now um, and they've been in the ag space for uh, longer than that. And um, we just kind of vibed it off and when we were talking, it was like, oh, me too. And oh, yeah, that, that's what's you know, really passionate for me and these are my values and um, we just started working more and more together and I really started with Farming Secrets as a bit of a helping hand, you know, giving some marketing advice and working on some promotions together and it was almost like a bit of an affiliate, like let's do this promo together and, you know, I'll take a little bit of a clipping on the side in exchange of, you know, hours for work and so forth. And then the relationship grew from that. I became a lot more interested in the impact that Farming Secrets was having uh, with farmers and the planet and, and all the benefits that comes with Regen Ag. And um, I, I got really, really in, ingrained with it. And I, I again, I became very curious. I dug deeper. I watched a lot of videos and educated myself and audio books and, um, and, and kind of got to that point where it's like, this is something I want to go deeper in. Um, and I had a few different marketing clients at that point and I decided to um, say goodbye to some of my other clients and go all in uh, with Farming Secrets. And, uh, you know, they're, they're, we're now at a point of basically setting myself up as the succession plan from Helen and Hugo and how I can bring the business and all the knowledge that's been captured over the years uh, to the new generation of farmers and, and keep the business legacy going um, beyond. Well, that's super exciting, but it must be daunting. That's no small task. There's such a body of work behind Farming Secrets and, and their contact network and their educational platform. You've got quite a bit of work ahead of you. <laughs> I do. I do. I love a big challenge and I love to uh, bite off more than what I can chew. I just tend to chew faster. So um, it's, it's a good space to be in. And it's really easy when it um, aligns with your values and, uh, you know, there's a real sense of fulfillment and work of impact that's being completed uh, each day. And of course, like with anything in life, it goes up and down and we have our moments, but um, you know, in the most times it's really rewarding to hear the success stories and really um, getting that insight. And we'll probably cover this a little bit more later on, but you know, farming secrets have been doing and capturing information for the last 13 years. 
And there's kind of this tipping point that's happening now where people are starting to identify as regenerative farming practices or holistic management. And, um, and, and, and now they're, they're, there's people saying, you know, putting their hands up and saying, I want to identify as a farmer that is this way where for the last 13 years, Farming Secrets has really, you know, kind of struggled with getting people to realise that this is a way of farming that is more profitable. And the great news is that we have case studies from people who started 10 years ago who have, you know, gotten so much uh, results that they're now part of the expert network and are also now educating to share this. Man, that's really exciting. And along those lines, let's start to sort of unpack a lot of the broad strokes of what has been learned in this 13 years of investigation. <laughs> and now that it's, you know, starting to become more of a movement and gain traction. And like you said, people are starting to embrace it and, and want to be identified with it. Let's figure out exactly what we're talking about. And some of the commonalities between farming systems around the world that you and the founders have found that really work. And so we're talking here about the systems that are kind of diverging from what we consider as conventional or industrial agriculture mm -hmm. and are working with nature in order to create the abundance and the yields and the profits that are needed to maintain a good farming business. Yeah. And I, I, I just want to really stress on the, on the fact that it's, um, it's, it's not so much the tactics, you know, and, and this is, you know, everyone always wants to know, um, you know, how, how it's all done and the nuts and bolts. And that, that's definitely really a key point, but it really starts on a deeper level. And I think what's really starting to happen now is that people are getting to a point where they've gone enough is enough. Um, and they're starting to really uh, see and feel the evidence that we are driving our systems into the ground and that resources are starting to run out. Um, there are, you know, wild storms, there is you know, you know, people are eating and they're still hungry because they're not nourished. And we're all getting to this point where we're questioning what's what what we've been told or who's done the research, and um, and 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 we have access to information, um, which never really happened in a lot of generations beforehand. You would get told some information, you'd, you'd take it for face value, but now we hear something, and this is why I love the way that my brain you know, questions everything and wants to be curious, um, we go and do our own research. And yes, it's the internet and everyone can put up whatever they want. But what we're starting to see now is so many results of people doing, um, you know, we, we talk about this new way of farming and branching off from conventional, but in a really weird roundabout way, we're actually going back to the way that it used to be done. And this is, you know, kind of more of a traditional, natural, holistic way that mother nature intended the food system to work on. And so, you know, there's this system that kind of got implanted into the human race of how farming should be that was influenced by machinery and the industrial revolution and uh, the ability to take a magic pill or put an input onto the land and have some miracle growth. And while those reports and statistics are correct, because that's exactly what happened, we're getting to a point now where that is starting to break and run out. And uh, there's, there's a lot of research where it says, you know, there, there, there is only probably another, you know, 60 cycles of, uh, you know, 60 or so cycles of, 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 of uh, food that can be produced from the land that we have because it's just becoming more and more depleted. And we're, we're having to modify seeds to cope with these 
chemical inputs and uh, and we all just kind of going really I, I'm not sure if this is what I want to be consuming and let me do my own research and um, let me grow my own food. And then all of a sudden there's this realization of, wow, this tomato does not taste like the tomato I used to eat. Um, and, and, you know, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of things happening in a planet where a lot of people wanting to, you know, live smaller and the tiny house movement, people want to live, you know, with less things and the minimalistic movement, we're kind of going back to, you know, traditional ways of things being done where we're just happy and content with less um, and the food system being less complicated is definitely something that a lot of humans are feeling like needs to be re re repaired. Um, and, we, you know, and it's not something that's it's broken. Um, sorry, it's not something that we need to change because it, it used to work. It just needs to be repaired back to the way it used to be where maybe we need to, you know, grow food, you know, in our own backyards, uh, in our own local villages and community gardens and we're starting to see an abundance of that um, people are you know replanting public spaces with fruit trees so that way people can pick fruit and eat and go foraging um, you know those are all really great movements that even now councils are starting to support i couldn't agree more and i think that observation is really important that it is more of a mindset than any of the techniques specifically and so yeah. to get back to that question, would you say that the commonalities really are a change in mindset of the practitioners or the farmers themselves who are taking sort of a, I wouldn't say an alternative approach because it, it really is an original one to looking at yield and profit as so much more than money or quantity, but rather a holistic idea of health for all the life forms that are kind of within their management on their site? Absolutely. And I think it is definitely a mindset thing um, because, because unfortunately, you know, we, we speak to a lot of farmers every, every day. And um, one of the things that keeps coming up is, is, well, this is the way that we've always done it. And what we're forgetting to realize is that's what you realize is happening as a farmer with the generations that, you know, were alive to teach you. It's not the way that it was always done. Um, and, and, you know, tradition, some traditions stay in families for a long time, other traditions kind of fade away. Um, and so just opening up people's minds to realize that there is a different way. And I'm not saying it's a better way because sometimes it could be not the right thing for that farmer. And with farming secrets, we definitely take this approach where every new uh, farmer we work with gets onboarded to know what their outcomes and situations are because there are so many environmental factors when it comes to farming and we never claim to be the experts to know everyone we kind of refer to ourselves as the glue we just know who we can point you in the direction to help you with the outcome that you're looking to achieve and some of the new terminologies that we're trying to encourage farmers to look at is you know profit per acre and so you take a lot of, you know, Joel Sullivan's work where he stacks enterprises on top of his farms. It's no longer just about growing one monoculture type of food or product or fibre or resource. It's about, you know, stacking other enterprises on top of that to increase your profits per, per acre, which means that farmers can now start thinking they can reduce their land and make more money. You reduce their overheads and make more money. Uh, and for some farmers, it's not even about the money. Um, I love a case, like a, a case study or an experience that happened with us at a field day recently, where the husband and wife were selling the farm, and they were putting all their, their plans together to sell the farm out of the family. And um, 
the they had everything really ready to go up to go and then the kids came back for christmas and went um we've heard about this regenerative farming and we're really intrigued that we can leave the planet a better place than we've found it and mum and dad if you make the farm regenerative we will take the farm over and so the parents through the 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 plans of succession and handing the farm over to a stranger or an investor in the bin and went out to work to return their farm in a regenerative way because the kids were more interested in leaving that parcel of land better than the way that they found it. And so it's not about money, it's not about profit, it's not about yield, it's about the impact and the why and the purpose and the meaningfulness that that farmer could leave as their impact on the planet. And that's a different way of thinking about it. Um, and you go, well, if we grow really great food and it's nutritious, you know, nutritional and it has great um, results, and if that fails, we're putting carbon back into the soil and we're leaving the planet, planet better. Um, and so that's a great win, even if it is a, a ruined crop or um, a bad year. You know, there is no bad years when the, the saving the planet becomes the why and the purpose. Absolutely. Yeah, it gives an entirely different framework uh, looking at what your objectives are. It's not yep. just a matter of putting out products and you know, uh, getting things done within a time frame or whatever metrics, you know, that have kind of governed the way that massive farm enterprises have, have kind of moved on and reframes it into something that is, I guess, larger than a single generation and looks at a time frame that affects so many people and generations down the line as well. So with this shift in mindset, how, let's, let's start first of all, like, how did we get here? You touched on this a little bit earlier about how sort of large vested interests little after World War II started to convince farmers that large machinery and chemicals were the only way to manage their land. Hmm. How was that able to be effective when farming had sort of followed this sort of tradition of multi-enterprises and working with the ecosystem up until that point. Yeah. So I think it's a, a few different systems working together. I, I think, you know, I don't want to call out any, you know, any, any one or, you know, any particular group, but um, it, it, it's a lot of systems working together. It's population growth. You know, how do we feed, you know, how do we feed more people? And that's the problem everyone tried to solve, not how do we make more nutrient dense food so humans can eat less, you know, this whole, you know, I call it BS in regards to having to eat four meals a day, or, you know, six meals a day and be grazers and all that. I really question whether that's actually necessary or whether that's corporate research that says buy more, consume more, you know, and, mm-hmm. um, you, you know, there's so many, you know, there's marketing, you know, marketing is to convince you that you need bigger, better, faster, shinier and more of it. Um, and so that puts more, the wrong pressure on the system that then goes, well, we don't, we don't grow enough. So then the research is, well, how do we grow more? And then um, the research goes out to solve that problem. And, and, you know, the science hypothesis is always defined at the start of research. And so it's very easy to pull in all the data that supports that argument, that if we input this or we do this or we farm this way, that it will yield to, to more. And that might be true in a controlled environment. Um, but then there's environmental factors that matter. Um, there's climate, there's floods, there's drought, there's, you know, frost. There's so many different things that can change the outcome of that yield. And then you go back to 
the experts um, and they say, well, you are low on this, so put this in. Um, and the system is designed to machine more, which <laughs> consumes more fuel that's driven by the, you know, that resource hungry in, uh, industry that then says, um, uh, input this because you're low on that, which then causes another problem because it takes out an, uh, an animal out of the ecosystem or the bees start disappearing. So there's no pollinators and it's a ripple effect. And then it's kind of like going to the doctors and say, I've got a pain in my shoulder and they give you a pill, but then that pill gives you, you know, a stomach ache. So then there's another pill to solve the stomach ache, but then that makes you feel dizzy. So then you take another pill not to be dizzy. All of a sudden you're on three pills and we've forgotten that the original problem was the sore shoulder. Um, and the food system works exactly the same. Um, it's, it's, the, the, it's the effect and the problem um, that kind of one thing leads to another to another. And then originally we forget what was the original problem we're trying to solve. And that's what I think we're at now where everyone's looking back going, well, hang on a minute, why don't we just eat less? Um, as humans, we are living in a world of abundance. Uh, you can now go through a drive-through and get a very high calorie meal that you're not even hungry. You're just eating because, oh, it's lunchtime because someone told you that you have to eat between 12 and 1. Um, there is no understanding of the sun and the cycles and anything like that. The moon, uh, we're not eating as the way we used to when we used to feel hungry. We don't go through feast and famine like we used to. Um, and so, there, you know, we, we, we are in a system that just relies on us to consume and eat more. Um, and uh, there's a lot, of, a lot of evidence that shows that we need that, but there's also probably a lot of research that needs to be done that proves that we don't need that, which that's not what's mm. being funded. When I really like what you mentioned, how there are so many other ways of seeing the consequences of this mentality, even away from farming, like through the healthcare system, through mm -hmm. the way that we eat, uh, certainly the way that we work, how it's regimented by industry rather than necessarily the work that needs to get done. And we seem to be in a time of upheaval of all of these ideas that have been entrenched in our culture for a relatively very short period of time. But Absolutely. in that time have become ubiquitous and globalized. And so with this rethinking of the structure of how we do things and what the motivations are behind them, where do you see some of the conclusions coming out that lead people into rethinking their management practices of their land? Yeah, I, I, think, I think we're in a really interesting space now because obviously, um, you know, not, not to put a time onto this interview, but we've just gone through COVID and we've gone through a lot of riots that are happening around the world and protests. Um, and, and we're at a point now where we, um, we, we, we just feel like something's not working and we're not, we're not trusting our news source. We're not trusting our uh, feeds anymore. Um, we're really questioning everything. Um, but one thing that has really stood out is that, you know, a lot of Australians, because obviously I'm, I'm in Australia and I see a lot of the inputs that are happening in Australia, is that a lot of Australians are really going, hang on a minute, we got taught a history at school that doesn't actually match the history that was. And so now with the access of information, let me go and learn. And a big, like all the top selling books and podcasts and audio books at the moment are all books about the Aboriginal movement and the traditional landowners. And one thing that really stands out for me is that they observed the land. They were really good or great at observing and really knowing what needed to happen, where and what. 
And what we've lost is that ability to observe our farms and analyze it from a holistic point of view and go, this paddock needs this. This area requires this. And over here, I'm going to do this experiment to just fulfill my own curiosity. And so we treat it like a one size fits all. We go, the entire area requires this type of treatment. Um, and that causes a lot of problems. And so what, what I feel like we really need to do is just slow down and just look and watch. And a lot of, you know, people in this, this space and I, I, you know, Gay Brown um, mentions this in his book, Nicole Masters refers to this in her book as well, that we just need to really have those broad ideas when we stop, walk away from the farm and watch what's happening. Um, and that's what I really feel like farmers are missing is because they're chasing the next yield. They're never giving their farm the ability to stop and just have a bit of a respite. And not only their farm, but themselves, their own mind, their own spirit to be more connected and just observe the wildlife, observe the animals and realise that the ecosystem is missing um, crucial creatures. Uh, and not just above ground, but really below the ground. You know, you know my kind of learnings and advice that I give to farmers a lot these days is, you know, we all look at the livestock that's above the ground, but there's more livestock below the ground that we don't even consider. And below ground tells us more about how things uh, are working above ground. So instead of trying to fix the problem above the ground, let's go below the ground and see what the readings are of your soil and the, um, the, the, all the microbes and, and analyse that and learn how to read those kind of triggers to fix everything that we can actually see. And like we were talking about in the beginning with the commonalities, that's one of the most prominent ones that I've heard throughout the interviews that I've done in this series on regenerative agriculture is that once we start to pull things out of balance from the way that a healthy ecosystem should be, when we start to remove, you know, specific change agents, whether they're predators, whether they're microbes in the soil, whether they're herbivores, or whatever the natural system was being maintained as before we started to alter it, we then have to supplement that work or that presence with some sort of artificial, um, I guess, change maker, whether it's machinery, whether it's fertilizers, whether it's irrigation, or any of these other things that are considered essential for modern farming. I mean, when we think about it, all of those services were performed by the ecosystem before we started to pull it out of balance. And the the beauty in this that I, I've really heard from a lot of people is that when you start to put the pieces back together and reestablish balance and order, you don't have to be a specialist in everything. You don't have to know the exact, um, you know, nutrient ratios to grow this crop or you know, any of these other metrics that we go into so much detail in in scientific uh, research, you can leave it in the hands of the, the life forms that were specialized at doing those things just by reestablishing that order. I absolutely agree that if we just leave it in the hands of Mother Nature, like all the rainforests around the world have no one tilling it, have no one putting any inputs into the rainfalls, and yet they're lush and grow like crazy. Um, and I understand that we can't bring that into the farming system. However, um, we definitely just need to learn a lot from that and go, well, Mother Nature had a system or has a system that works for us. 
what gets in the way and what I see all the time is ego and net worth. Unfortunately, the farming um, system has gotten to the point where there's a bit of a pride of how long we spend doing a task. If you know, we spend X amount you know, inoculating weeds with poison or we sit on a tractor until there's a bit of a net worth that's put on that. And one of the biggest struggles that we have when talking to farmers who are going through this transition is that whole questioning of what am I going to do if we just leave it in the hands of Mother Nature? Um, and again, that comes back to mindset where it's spend time with your family, go to your kids' plays, go to the soccer days, the field days, the local markets. Like there, there are things that you can now do with this free time that you've gotten because Mother Nature and the microbes in the ground are going to do all the heavy lifting for you. And we have gotten to that point where our net worth is linked by the hustle or how hard we work or how many hours we're sitting on a tractor doing things. Um, and, and yeah, again, it's just um, a, a mindset shift that it can happen. And it's not something that happens overnight. You don't wake up one morning and go, I'm a regenerative farmer and uh, I don't need to go on the tractor anymore. It's something that you need to do uh, with someone holding your hand and a mentor and, and, and other people that think the same that can really guide you through that, that change and someone to lean on when things aren't working or you need a bit of a course correction. And I mean, so this all sounds well and good, but like you were saying, it is a transition process and to shift from an industrial farming management method over to a regenerative one takes some time. It requires educational resources, mentorships can be helpful. And one of the things that I've heard from these other interviews as well is that the larger motivator in many cases is the profitability that can be gained from working with nature, which uh, up until recently has seemed counterintuitive. People think that, you know, all of these systems have been optimized over years for profitability and for business reasons, but it actually turns out that managing holistically can lead to much bigger profits. How have you seen that correlation between ecological management practices and farm profitability? Yeah. And, and yeah, so the, the main observation that I see is that, um, I guess, you know, I come from the business startup world and there's this big kind of um, thinking of what they call lean startup. And it's about running your business lean. And I know that farmers are now starting to also get around these these systems. And it's really that ethos of working smarter, not harder. Um, the profitability will increase. Like it's not a matter of if, it's almost a matter of when the resilience that farmers have to get to that finishing line is the real, real struggle. Um, unfortunately, we have farmers who have their backs up against the walls. They have bills to pay. They have loans to pay back. Um, the initiative really needs to be how do those farmers get support during that transition period? And I love the movement of, you know, crowdfunding or in America, it's big to support like a CSA, a community supported agriculture system that hasn't really happened here in Australia. And I love the ability of, you know, like even Kickstarter, you can give money to a campaign and wait a year or so until you get your product. And we're starting to see that happen with farming as well, where there are a group of people who will sign up to a CSA and say, we want to give you money upfront so you can transition your farm over the next 12 months. And we're happy to get our reward in 12 to 24 months when your food is grown um, in a regenerative mindset. Um, and so we're starting to see lifelines kind of handed out 
in that regards where farmers cannot go to that shortcut that they know will will give them the yield to pay this month's bills or this this quarter's bills or this year's bills we need to start thinking what's the five to ten year plan on this farm and not season to season or yield to yield and that that's one of the other problems that i've kind of identified and i love the movement of syntropic farming not to throw another buzzword out but i've been really researching this syntropic farming system that works kind of with companion planting and having this 10 to 20 year plan on your farm where you you will grow food in amongst you know young trees that those trees will grow in 10 years time and they will also be a profit in 10 years time because you you plant them closer than what they need to be and then you thin them out they create revenue but then the trees are established um you know in the density that they need to thrive in um and it creates other inputs to the into the into the soil through the dropping of leaves and through the other animals that those trees attract um and the other plants that you can grow around these trees um and so this linear monocropping kind of gets broken down it becomes more about hunting and gathering through these food forests um and and what i love about it is that the farmers are planning for that 10 to 15 year plan and really if you're going to hand a farm over to your kids or in keep it in the family that's really what they they want they don't want to see month to month paychecks they think well i might as well just go get a job and go and have off farm jobs because that's the same kind of reward and and input um, that I'm getting and so this long-term thinking is really kind of what needs to, to happen and so the profits will come but the resilience of the farmer may not be there initially because there are other forces forcing them to make quick quick wins rather than the long-term delayed gratification that can come with regen farming. Yeah, and so now that we've sort of given an idea of the mentality that comes through this, the commonalities that you found in working with this wide range of farms and practitioners that have started to make this transition, could you maybe tell me a story or two from the practitioners that you've seen and highlighted through Farming Secrets that are emblematic of this transition that you were talking about and give a roadmap or an inspirational idea of what it could look like for someone who is transitioning from an industrial farming model. Yeah, I wish Helen and Hugo were here because they have an abundance of stories and know firsthand all the stats and figures. And I've, I'm kind of learning through them. Um, but we've, we've seen some really good results and we have a whole heap of success stories uh, on our website. In fact, so what happened with Farming Secrets is we would, we would go to a field day and record the content at these field days so we could then send it, you know, 10 years ago on DVDs to other farming members around the world. Um, and that's where the name came is that we wanted to share the secrets that farmers were having to every other farmer around the world, hence farming secrets. And um, what, what's happened is that so many of the students that were in those classrooms 10 years ago are now experts sharing more, more, more of their stories. And there's been a whole heap of positive case studies. Um, one that kind of, um, is in my mind is is of a dairy farmer, um, and what they what they did is they realised that um, they had a lot of waste outputs in their farm as well. And so when you start observing and that whole holistic closed loop system, you start realising that 
um, a, a problem is actually a solution to something else. And so, you know, waste management in dairy is a big, big problem. And so they were using that waste into compost that they would then put in that compost tea back onto their farm, onto their pastures, which then the cows would eat. And so the milk quality then started increasing. And they were fortunate enough to be in a community that really backed them and supported them. And, and that's one of the other elements that I really see with Regen Ag is that community support. That if you share your vision and what you are wanting to achieve, people will get behind you and really support you. Um, and I think the whole universe is kind of getting to a point now where we are understanding that not everything has an instant gratification. We want to have that delay gratification. And so by looking at the problem of the, the, the cows that were being milked, having all this waste, they realised that that waste could be used to put back into, the, into, the, into their farm um, via a different vehicle. Um, you know, we're seeing a lot of success uh, with a lot of farmers doing cover cropping or cell grazing um, and just really observing the land and going, well, this paddock looks a little bit too short still. Let me not put any grazers on here yet. Let me wait, you know, a week or two. And uh, having, you know, even little micro delays uh, or taking cows off paddocks just that one day sooner means that the grass grows back more lush and, and with more nutrient rather than eating it down too low. Um, but it really comes from observing. So, um, you know, there, there are just so many success stories, I guess. Um, I, I can't quote you the stats and the figures, but this dairy farm went off and launched a whole new brand of milk and the council was on board. Um, they did this massive launch in the city of Melbourne where they had, you know, this amazing amount of people turn up to buy this milk that was grass fed and, you know, the farm was um, holistically managed with a regenerative approach to it. Um, and they had media there interviewing everyone. There was people dressed up as cows of giving everyone free milk, which was probably a real big attraction, but that all came because they thought differently and they questioned the system and when I could possibly do it a bit different um, or, or, you know, have the land work for me. Um, and, 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 and um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's one of those um, situations where um, it, you really just have to stop and, and slow. Um, you know, we also have Colin Sice. We worked with Colin Sice, well, Helen and Hugo did many years ago. He's kind of pioneering, um, the pioneer of, of cover cropping and his story is that it was a little bit out of an unfortunate event. Um, there was an, an actual disaster that kind of caused him to lose everything. Um, and he had to really rebuild from scratch and he had this blank canvas. So he thought, let me do it a bit differently. Um, Colin Sice was one of the early day supporters of Farming Secrets. Um, he's done a lot of video content for us. We've filmed him at numerous field days. And recently he was featured in the 2040 film. Um, talking about regenerative farming um, and we were very humbled to kind of know that we've seen his journey from being a student to now you know featured in a documentary educating and spreading um, his message of cover cropping and how that can really help um, your farm ecosystem. And you mentioned a minute ago about some of the the main practices that are helping people to transition their land, like cover cropping and cell grazing or holistic managed uh, grazing practices. What have you found are some of the most key things that people focus on 
that once fixed sort of take care of many others. It kind of goes back to that analogy you were talking about, you know, giving a painkiller for a shoulder problem or shoulder pain and it leading to all sorts of other symptoms down the line. Well, at the same time, there are things you can do to the root of problems that solve all sorts of other symptoms so you don't have to keep sort of playing whack-a-mole with every minor thing that comes up. What yeah. are some of those things that you found been effective for the farmers that you've worked with and profiled through Farming Secrets? Yeah. <laughs> I want to I give tactics, but my, my natural default is to be a bit more uh, mindset-driven. It's, it's actually just being open that there could be a different way. Um, my, my biggest advice for that is, um, is buy a microscope and start understanding what's happening under your feet. Um, take an interest. Now, what, what's really difficult in this, this sector, and I struggle with this as well, is there's really big words with letters that apparently are silent, and I don't know how to pronounce any of this stuff. And that's okay, because we just need to know um, you know, the thing is people go, well, I don't know what all these microbes names are and what they do. And I go, yeah, but you also don't know the names of the chemicals that are in your fertilizer, but you still use it. So take the same approach about it. Understand that there is this life form happening underneath your feet and take more of an interest of what's happening there. Um, and, and, and really building up the organic matter in your soil solves a lot of the drought problems, the flooding problems, the topsoil runoff problems of erosion. Um, grass grows with so much more nutrient that then gets eaten by the, 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 the livestock or whether you're growing produce, that nutrient dense, density goes into the food. Um, understanding what happens under the ground is going to solve a lot of the above the ground problems. Um, and so buy a microscope or, or learn more about the below the ground ecosystem, um, the soil food web, however you want to refer to it. Um, There there is an abundance of information out there. There's heaps of experts now. Um, There are labs dedicated to doing more sophisticated soil tests. You don't need to understand all that. It's very similar, again, to go to the doctor's analogy because that's how everyone kind of gets things. But when you go for a blood test, you don't really understand when you look at that report what everything means, but you have a practitioner to give you layman's terms in it and you need to treat your farm the same way is get a soil test. You don't need to understand what it all means, but have someone explain it to you in a way where it says, these are the common things that we see here. And from experience, you need to be doing X, Y, and Z. And it may be cover cropping. It may be cell grazing. It may be, um, and you know a whole heap of different approaches um how you get there is really difficult to give advice on because it's very different from neighbor to neighbor um you know that's what's really difficult is you really need that um personalized uh you know personalized experience and knowing what you're trying to achieve um you know here in australia we have a carbon credit scheme and a lot of farmers are trying to get carbon into their soil so they can make money from that through the carbon um, through the carbon scheme. Now, some farmers just that doesn't align with their values, but they want to measure their carbon so they know how much they're putting back into the soil just for their own personal goals. Um, so you don't need to go and get certified for carbon credits if that's not what you want. But people give advice on that and they go, well, I don't want carbon credits. I can't be a region farmer. Uh, and that's where the system kind of breaks down is we need to understand what each individual person's goals 
and outcomes are and design a plan and a pathway for them specifically. Yeah, it seems like anytime we start to break things down into isolated parts, like whether regenerative farming is defined by putting carbon back in the soil rather than creating healthy ecosystems that obtain a yield, you know, um, or looking at a certain nutrient in the soil or trying to optimize for one monoculture plant. As soon as we start to break things apart and separate their connections, then everything starts to fall apart with it. And the more things are observed as whole systems, as sort of the sum and even more so than all of the parts inside of them, yeah. that's where these, these kind of key observations can be made like, oh, maybe this is missing from the system because there's a broken link here. That's something that we can attend to. Or even what naturally occurring element of this ecosystem can be put back in or nurtured somehow or given the, the inputs that it needs to thrive so that it creates this connection which is currently missing. And Absolutely. that seems to be, like you were saying, the key mindset or observational differences between going in there with a microscope and trying to reduce everything down to its parts. Yep, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, and and nu nutrient-dense food is, 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 you know, really the key. Um, your yields could be less, but you're growing better food that people would then pay more for. Um, and so another kind of way of looking at food is, you know, its nutrient dollar index is how much nutrients am I getting for the dollars I'm paying? Um, you know, we, we can't compare apples with apples anymore. It's really being able to understand how nutrition, how nutritional, how much nutritional value that food has um, and then go, well, I'm willing to pay $2 more a kilo because this food is better quality and I can actually eat less and get more nourished. Um, right. And, and that's from a consumer point of view. And we're starting to see that where people will buy better quality food uh, here in Australia. Anyway, we see that people in restaurants are starting to put where produce comes from. It's no longer a steak and, you know, on a plate, it's, you know, a grass-fed 18, you know, you know, um, you know, 40 day aged steak from Mary and Jill's farm, 400 kilometers, you know, 400 meters down the road. And people want to know right, exactly right. where their food's coming from and that story behind it. Yeah. And it makes sense, especially because we've been disconnected from our food for so long. But one last thing that I really wanted to touch on before we wrap it up here, and that's trying to understand what some of the biggest roadblocks to making ecological management practices the norm around the world currently are. And certainly it's different in different places around the world. You can use Australia as your example or some other place that you know of. Is it that many people still don't realize that this is possible or are there other factors holding it back? Yeah, I, I think, I think it's as human nature to, um, do what's common for us you know it's easy i guess you know if you need to go and join a gym uh, it's easier not to uh, and you in the back of your mind you know i should really join the gym i want to get more fit i want to get you know strength i want to build up some muscle and you know what you want to do and the intention could be there but actually taking that action can be harder or we join for a month and then cancel because it's easier not to go um, I think it's with that in everything in life. Uh, and this is exactly the same, same situation is uh, I think a lot of farmers know that 
change is needed or they want to do things differently, but it's very easy to fall back into um, what what is common and what's what's the path of least resistance, I guess. Um, this is why the mindset and the value of why you're doing this needs to be greater than the effort to to deliver. And so, um, I, 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 you know, I don't, I, and, you know, one of the other things that has happened recently too with the whole pandemic and COVID-19 is that the importing gates have stopped. And so farmers are getting to a point where they can't buy the chemicals they would normally buy or the inputs that they would normally be inputting. And so they go in, well, hang on a minute, I remember someone talking about a natural way of doing it or uh, a different way of doing it. Let me go and explore that. And sometimes mm -hmm. this is what people need. You know, you, there are so many stories of the smoker quitting smoking after they have the lung cancer diagnosis or someone eats healthy after they have a heart attack. Like humans need this critical situation to happen to then have that kind of wake up call. And the same thing is, is what I'm ob ob observing is that we're getting people bringing up and going, oh, I can't get what I normally would get. Tell me about this other alternative woo-woo way of farming. And we go, oh, interesting. Now you kind of have a bit of an open. And, and so they're being forced to listen. And it's a really positive thing in my, in my eyes is that we, we're kind of forcing people to change their way of thinking. Um, and sometimes that's what humans need as that wake-up call. Um, because they they won't wake up one day and go, I want to do it, you know, uh, you know, in a regenerative way that could be a little bit more work initially, um, and and it's really the opposite, you know. Once farmers do get great results from this, they do have to do less for it because Mother Nature and all the microbes do all the work for them, um, you know. So yeah, it's it's just <laughs> that open mindedness, that willing to try things differently and that real the easy way to do it is like you know to use the gym analogies you don't hit the gym every day of the week and exhaust yourself you might go once every two weeks and build up from that and go you know build up your rhythm regenerative farming transition is the same start with you know one acre start with one paddock start with one crop one area um, and do that differently and maybe one year it's bad and year two it's bad but then year three you hit the jackpot and that one that good year could make up for the last four years of losses you know and so it's it's that kind of being willing to take that risk and that leap of faith and it isn't really a risk anymore because we have so many farmers case studying their abundance results um over the years uh, over the last decade or so so it is really the most least riskiest time to start farming this way. Yeah, that's a it's an important observation there. And it does really seem like we're in this sort of watershed moment. It's what gives me hope that what we're going through now in retrospect could have been perhaps some of the the most positive changes for our global society. And it seems like you and Farming Secrets have really put together the body of work to help this transition along in order for it to be a positive uh, event in the long run. And with that said, can you tell our listeners a little more about how they can get in contact and find more information and resources? Yeah, absolutely. Well, well Farming Secrets was built on this, is um, really just going out and helping farmers um, achieve what success looked like for them. And so... Um, we really became the glue to people, um, that community. I guess the word that kind of gets thrown around now is the tribe or like-minded people. And so Farming Secrets is a membership model 
where you pay to gain access to a community of people who may have gone through that process originally or even more powerful going through it with you so you can learn together and learn out loud we have an array of courses that are available as well that can get people started to really understand uh, what's happening below their feet or what regenerative farming can do for them or what they needed to look out for to be better observers of their land um, and so we have a you know an array of courses we have a, mem uh, a member body of people who are going through it or have been through it to support and lean on each other um, and so if that is something that kind of feels like you you would like to be more involved with then farmingsecrets.com is the website and uh, we have heaps of information there um, resources downloads videos um, links off to our youtube there's you know decades worth of video footage and the good stuff the good the good thing about this information is that it never really ages even if it was recorded 10 years ago it's still relevant because it's it's somewhat it's just the way mother nature works and so things that were being voiced 10 years ago still matter today um but the one thing that i just want everyone to really realize is you don't have to go out and be the success story overnight. This is a process and a journey. And that's what we're really interested in. We, our goal is to turn students into experts. So when you come on board, we understand where you're at, what you want to achieve. And our, you know, our success is your success. And so once you've become a successful farmer, you're encouraged to be an expert. And we've got so many people in our community who have become the success story who then just want to teach it to other people and put courses together or do, you know, farm tours, virtual farm tours where they'll take our members through their farm and show how it's all working. Um, and that's what I really, really love. It's, it's this um, learning out loud community where everyone's researching and kind of adding value. And we have this compounding effect of knowledge and information. And um, yeah, it's just, it is that kind of space of like-minded people where you don't feel um, alienated when you bring up an idea or a thought. Um, and, you know, as Joel Sullivan says, like you want to be that lunatic farmer. And we have a group of lunatic farmers who are encouraging everyone to be more lunatic uh, every day um, and question the system, question what they're doing, uh, thinking out loud and, and sharing those results and outcomes. Uh, it's very exciting. Now, Ray, I really want to thank you for taking the time to break this down and explain it better for myself and the listeners. And I really hope that uh, we can stay in touch. I look forward to keeping an eye on the new resources that are coming out and very excited to see this organization grow and thrive. Awesome. Excellent. And I just want to leave the listeners with one thought is everything you're doing is, does matter. So even just listening to this podcast has changed your future, the world's future. And that is really powerful, that everything you're doing matters. Uh, be conscious about that, the way that you shop, what you buy, your voting power with your wallet, uh, it, it all matters. So it doesn't matter how little it is, it might seem like it doesn't impact, but it definitely does. So keep doing what you're doing. Thank you for having us on the show and really uh, excited to, uh, to, to, to share it around. Marvelous, very well said. Well, thank you, Ray, we'll be in touch and you have a great rest of your day. All right, that wraps things up for this week's episode. If you enjoyed this interview and want to find more like it, as well as articles and other resources, you can find the full library of previous podcasts at AbundantEdge.com. 
The best part is that you can search by category, topics, or keywords on our brand new website rather than scrolling through more than 140 interviews. I've spoken to experts on everything from growing your own food, building homes from natural materials, beekeeping, vermicompost, permaculture design techniques, and so much more. Before we go, I just want to say thank you so much to those of you who have taken the time to reach out to me via comments and emails. Your input helps a lot in making this show the open conversation and exchange of ideas that it's meant to be, and it helps me to make better content on the topics that you're interested in. If you have any insights, advice, suggestions, or questions, be sure to send them to me at info at AbundantEdge.com, and I'll look forward to being in touch. New episodes come out every Friday like clockwork, so don't forget to subscribe to the show through our website or through your favorite podcast streaming platform, and I'll catch you on next week's show.